so the time the title of this sermon series is we're going to walk through um, all the way to Lent is Come Just As You Are. And um, the title of my sermon today is from, um, from Third Class to World Class. We're going to talk a bit more about that in just a minute. And so um, I hope, and um, you heard uh, Pastor Allen just a few minutes ago in the open announcements, that you'll take some time and journey with me um, as we walk through the Gospel Luke and then on the way out. Please don't forget to pick out one of these little bookmarks. This can be a Bible bookmark. I've actually put mine in my Bible. And each day we're reading through the Gospel Luke. So um, uh, I, I was sitting on the back porch yesterday reading our gospel lesson. And it's always interesting when you're reading the Christmas story and it's 82 degrees out. So I thought that was interesting. So, um, and so speaking of that, this is where we started today because we're going to walk through Luke for the next six weeks. And so we're starting with the actually beginning of Luke. And this is great part of the story because um, it starts out with uh, Mary. You got, of course, you got Mary um, and then you got Elizabeth, that story where, you know, Elizabeth is um, barren, but she's going to actually end up having, she's going to have this child um, and he's going to end up his name John. And we all know him as John the Baptist. And this whole thing is unfolding. And so uh, Mary ends up going to visit Elizabeth, um, and um, this is what she says, and she breaks out um, in this, what we call a Mary's song of praise. Hear these words. And so listen closely to these words, because she mentions not once, but twice the word lowly. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he has made to our ancestors, to Abraham, to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then she returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, Thanks be to God, amen and amen. So um, I was putting together this sermon this week and I was trying to come up with um, kind of a catchy little title from third class to world class. And so uh, immediately when I, once I kind of got fixated on that, the, the first person I thought about like going from third class to world class um, was this guy and um, you all might have seen the movie. It came out like three or four years ago. Angelina Jolie is actually when I think is the one who produced the movie. It was a story called, it was called Unbroken and it was a story about Louis Zamperini. And remember, I got a picture of Louis. Here he is running. And so what's interesting about Louis' story um, is that uh, he was, uh, his family came here from Italy and his father was just a blue collar worker. He, they had very little, they, I think they lived up in um, New York and um, the kids made fun of him because he was Italian and um, he was bullied in school, um, um, always put down. Um, and then one day he was challenged to a foot race and um, he came in dead last. And uh, he, was, he was humiliated and the kids laughed at him. So his older brother took him under his wing and they began to run and he began to help train him. And then he ended up going from what I would call third class to become a world-class runner. He 
he ends up going to the Olympics. And, um, uh, and it, actually, it was in Berlin. He actually ran um, that in Berlin that year. He didn't win, but it was an honor to be able to actually get all the way to the Olympics. So then um, he, after the Olympics, he ends up, you all probably know the story, he ends up red, uh, signing up. He goes to war, and um, his plane is shot down in the Pacific. And then, of course, the, the Japanese pick him up. And he ends up going to a concentration camp. And the person that was in charge of the concentration camp with his nickname was the bird. And the bird did everything he could to break him. And as soon as he found out that he was actually an Olympic champion, he tried to do all he could to continue to humiliate him in front of everybody there. And so it was just a remarkable story. And so what's amazing, when he came back, you all may remember this, that Louis was just a broken, he really was a broken man. And he had nightmares of all that he had gone through, living in a concentration camp. And um, he was, um, once again, tried to kill the pain by being actually, I think he was becoming an alcoholic and he was um, just running from his fears. And then an amazing thing happened. One night, his uh, his wife challenged him. She says, I'm going to a Billy Graham crusade and I want you to go to church with me tonight. And he reluctantly went. And he got saved. And so, um, in fact, I got a picture of him and Billy Graham. And so this is just, so um, Billy Graham changed his life. I mean, ultimately, Jesus Christ changed his life. And so what he had to learn, this is to me amazing about that story, when he went from third class to world class. Billy Graham actually encouraged him. He actually became an evangelist like Billy Graham. He went all over, all over the country and began to preach the gospel. And what was amazing to me about that story is he had to learn how to forgive and what was even more amazing, he actually went back, I think he went and sought out the ones who had actually um, uh, had humiliated him and tried to ultimately almost take, uh, actually almost kill him in the concentration camp. He went and faced him face to face, the Japanese guys who were at the prisoner guards, and he forgave them. Forgiveness. So to me, that's a remarkable story. I mean, think about what he had gone through in his life and he literally was as an Italian immigrant and put down and being bullied in his classroom. He went from being considered a third-class person to become a world-class Christian. Uh, and then I started about think, okay, so we got that story. Then I started to think about my, um, this guy that came the other day, um, Jeff Shope. And Jeff, um, matter of fact, I got a picture of Jeff. Here's a picture of Jeff. And uh, Jeff came and he was... Um, um, well, he was a neo-Nazi, um, followed that kind of uh, spew of hatred in the world, and then we, um, he had the conversion in his life. And he actually stood right here one night, and um, he talked about what he had gone through, and I thought his opening words were after he showed all this venom, that he, the way he was living his life about hatred, and he went from spewing hatred to trying to spread love. And it's a remarkable conversion. I mean, it's almost like on the magnitude of Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, right? I mean, Saul was the one who was persecuting the Christians and he was trying to kill all the Christians and he was ultimately going all the way up to Damascus, which was 145 miles to be able to bring the Christians back because he was trying to make a name for himself. And once again, I mean, this is a major conversion in his life. And he said his opening lies, I says, I want you to know people can change. I'll never forget that. He said right here, he says, you know, I want you to know people can change. So he, uh, Jeff gave his, uh, uh, his talk that night. It was a very powerful talk about what he had gone through his life, about how he spewed all this hatred towards other people. And so then um, after he was over, um, there was some question and answer time. And then he went and sat down right here. And I was sitting right over there. And immediately after it was all over and we had a closing prayer, I walked over and I said, Jeff, you need to do me a favor. He says, what's that, Pastor Harold? He says, I, I said, I need for you to read the gospel, Luke. 
I said, you know what? The beautiful thing about the Gospel of Luke is that Luke is about transforming people's lives. If you look on almost literally every page of the Gospel of Luke, it, once again, you find that Jesus is this remarkable savior person that we find on page after page and a page that he goes to the nobodies and he once again wants to make the nobodies feel as if they're somebody. So if there's two themes that we find in the Gospel of Luke is that we find that Jesus is really one of this advocate. If you're a nobody, he's come to you and say, and he has come to rescue you and say, listen, you're not a nobody, you're somebody. And the second thing that we find throughout the gospel, look all the way through the gospel, if you're a somebody, you need to lift up those who are the nobodies. You need to lift up the lowly. Hence the reason why when you go and you look at the gospel of Luke, right out of the gate, you hear these words on Mary's lips, how she talks about lifting up the lowly because she was a lowly. I love that. Right out of the gate, Luke wants to make sure that everybody understands that there's a key theme here, that Jesus is about lifting up the nobodies. And he also wants everybody who's a somebody to, lift them, to realize that you, if you're a somebody, you need to lift up the nobodies. Can I amen on that? Amen. To lift up the lowly. So, um, so I encourage Jeff to be able to read the gospel. And so I, I wrote him, as a matter of fact, I, I, here's my, I felt like it was part of my calling because I was trying to lift him up. And so um, I, after I told him to read the Gospel of Luke, and I, I stayed in touch with him, and I continued to uh, reach out to him, and I encouraged him to read some books that I thought might be helpful, help him on his, maybe on this, this journey he is with connecting with God, because I wanted to understand, just not, it's not just God, it's Jesus Christ. I want to be able to get to the point, because I think he's grappling with this idea that Jesus Christ can be his personal friend, that Jesus Christ can be his personal savior, that he can have a personal relationship with God, and it's through Jesus Christ. Can we amen on that? That's what I was trying to work on with Jeff. And so I'm, I wrote to him, and then um, he wrote back, and I just, I thought this was actually a very powerful statement. He says, you know, um, um, he said, thank you so much, Pastor Harold, um, about um, recommending these books. And um, and he goes on, he says, you know, honestly, I have I had struggled a lot with feeling as if God would not forgive my regrettable past, or rather feeling that I didn't deserve forgiveness. But as time moves forward, things are becoming clearer, and I understand he is forgiving. It was mainly not my it was mainly my own inner struggle and unworthiness that was complicating matters. But when I opened my mind and my heart and the warmth of the, his forgiveness and healing arms, his healing arms were there. You know God much better than me, Pastor Harold, but my heart is open and I'm thankful for your willingness to share your insights and wisdom to help guide me in the right direction, Jeff. So, you know, I, I, I lo- what I love about this story, here's a person who was on the world stage, on the national stage, and he was spewing all this hatred and venom. And I believe that God has transformed his heart, and I'm trying to help continue to guide him towards Jesus and having this personal relationship because I believe that Jesus Christ is the one who lifts up the lowly. I really believe that. So this last week, um, a couple of weeks ago, we, it was Valentine's Day. We had December four, uh, or February 14th. And so um, I was, that was interesting. I was walking through our campus and I went over here to Olivia Collins's closet, um, where I'm at her office, and I was looking for something and so forth. And so um, I thought this was interesting because that night she had flowers, but this is what the flowers look like two weeks later. I want you to know that. So they were all wilted. They were all kind of dying. They weren't smelling too good. And I took a picture of that. 
And, um, and then immediately after I took a picture of that, then I went outside and I went to the front of our campus and I took a picture of that. And, and so, I, you know, I thought it was a great kind of imagery and a metaphor for us in our lives because so often in our lives, many of us are just struggling with life and sometimes we feel like there's, there's something within us that's just dying or decaying. And it's our own sinful nature, right? And yet Christ has come to be able to redeem us, to give us life, to give us the promise of life, to give us eternal life. And to say, listen, I love you, and I understand that you have done some pretty bad things in your life, but don't ever think that there's something that you've done that is unforgivable because I love you that much. I like that. So on um, February 14th, um, you know, we had our big night here, and we had about, I don't know, about 250 people here, and everybody was fun, having fun, and we had the, the concert that night, and we had a beautiful dinner, and everybody's dressed up, and so we got their flowers and took pictures of the balloons, and it was, a, but it was a very interesting. Another huge event was happening in America that particular day, and I was watching news that night, and um, it was a story um, about a guy named Lamar Johnson. And so Lamar Johnson was set free on February 14th of this year for a crime that he did not commit and he had been in jail for 28 years. Here's a picture of Lamar. And so um, this is what it feels like after you've been in prison for 28 years and you finally hear the words from the judge that says you've been set free. That's what it looks like. And then can you show the next picture? And this is what it looks like when he's finally set free and he's walking out of the courthouse. Man, that gives me chills. And the reason why I share that with you today is because once again, here's Lamar Johnson and he is rotting away in prison. And our society looked at him and thought, you know, you're third class. And then on February 14th, all of a sudden he goes from third class to become world class. His story is on the global stage. And so here's, the, here's what, I, I, what I, I think is really, really powerful is that God continues to say to me and he says to you and says to all of us, Hey, listen, don't ever think that there's anything that you've ever done that is unforgivable, that I love you that much, that I care for you, and I'm gonna continue to offer grace. And when, by the way, when you go to the Gospel of Luke, everywhere you turn on almost every single page, the Gospel of Luke shows a Jesus who's willing to go to the downtrodden and lift up the lowly. My, my wife teaches over here at the Village's Charter School. She teaches um, uh, kindergarten. And, and so this has been her mantra um, with every child she has taught over the last, I don't know, eight or nine years. So this is what she teaches her children. She says, I'm right out of the I think this is what she teaches the very first day. She says, I want you to know that we are smart, we are kind, we are precious, and we are important. So she continues to um, just try to penetrate their hearts and penetrate their heart and minds. And by the way, I want you to know something. When, when Mrs. Hendren, or actually Pastor Donna, is actually teaching over there, that she can't call that Jesus, but let me tell you, they're getting Jesus. <laughs> so on the last day of school, after she teaches these kids for nine months, she um, takes that mantra that she has, because she wants to lift them up. I mean, they come in, they're, you know, they're bug, their eyes are all wide-eyed and they're, they're feeling insecure. And, you know, especially if you've got a kindergartner or a first grade, you have to pull them off their mama's leg. And, you know, you, you get it, right? And so, but she wants to make sure that they understand how, how sacred they are to lift them up. And so when on the last day, this is what she gives them. She gives them this little um, card that my, my, my daughter Olivia painted for her mother. 
And then she frames each one of them and gives them in a frame. And this is something they can keep for the rest of their life. And this is what it says. I am smart. I am kind. I am important. And I am precious. That's the good news. So you know what's interesting? I was thinking about this this week. I was watching a video. I don't know if you realize this, but the, uh, the, uh, the Villages is actually building a, a brand new school. Um, it's in the southern part of the Villages. And so I, someone sent me a link about the progress they're making, and it's just, it's amazing. And so I clicked on it, and I began to watch this kind of upgrade, uh, kind of up-to-dating where they are in the facilities, and I think they're planning on actually being in um, this, this year, I think in August, and so they're working actually literally, they said night and day to be able to put together this um, beautiful state-of-the-art facility. So I clicked on it. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's amazing. I mean, and matter of fact, I think I'd get a picture of it. Here's a rendering of what it's gonna look like. This is the high school and it's just beautiful. And let me tell you something. The Villages is actually building probably one of the nicest schools in America. And it's right down the street. And what I thought was really interesting as I was watching that video is what I heard, I heard it once, maybe two or three times in the video, they kept talking about, and by the way, this is world-class. I thought, wow. World-class school system right down the road here in the villages. <clears throat> and then immediately, you know what I thought of? And I thought about world-class. Then I thought about my friend, Mike Williams. And Mike Williams has had this call and he's a Christian comedian. As a matter of fact, you all have come to hear him speak or talk. And he is one of the funniest people I have met or met. He is amazing. But Mike's greater call isn't to be a Christian comedian. Mike's call is to be able to lift up the lowly in the Dominican Republic. So you know what Mike does? Um, he has this great mission and outreach and then the money that he makes by being a Christian committee, he literally almost pours all of it into his ministry. And so he goes, and here's a picture of Mike at the garbage dump feeding people so they don't have to sift through the garbage in order to eat. And his primary target is children. See the difference between what we have and other parts of the world where people live as, well, in a third world country. And in many times, many of people who are living in a third world country are made to feel as if that they are third class. And yet the beautiful part that we find in the good news of Jesus Christ, we are all children of God for those who are living a third-class life, there is a world-class God that loves you. Can I have amen on that? Let me say that again. We are all children of God. For those who are living a third-class life, there is a world-class God that loves you. And so we find on literally in all page after page and the page, when we look at the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is all about lifting up the lowly. Let me tell you something, when Jesus, if Jesus had been walking around the Dominican Republic, he would have been out there by the dump. If you go and look at the gospel, you see where Jesus went to the outcasts, the downtrodden, the outsiders, the ones who are the marginalized, and this is where you find Jesus over and over and over again, lifting up the lowly. 
So I started thinking about you know, like maybe two or three examples of where we are as a church. So I thought I gave you an example the other day. I said, you know, I talked about our Zoe International and how we're supporting these children who were actually orphans. And, and that we're not just handing them money, we're empowering them to this wonderful organization that they learn a skill, they, are, they learn how to um, raise animals, they have chickens and then they have eggs and they sell the eggs and um, they, have, um, they learn how to sew. And, this is just a remarkable accomplishment. And one of the things that I thought one of the most important statistics when they sent back to our church about what they accomplished and they graduated and then we're gonna get another group of kids that help them is that 48 children who were not in school are now in school. <coughs> to me, that's lifting up the lowly. Uh, my friend, Jean Barton, who has had this passion for the House of Hope for the last 10 years. And the House of Hope is a, a kind of, it's like a, a, a refuge for people who are struggling with some kind of addiction. And he came to me this last week and he says, here, I've got really great news. We're so excited that it looks like we're gonna get this grant from the, from the government and we're gonna be actually be able to have land and we actually can, our dream is gonna, we believe it's gonna kind of finally come to fruition. And I am so grateful for people like Jean and other people in the church who have a passion, once again, to lift up the lowly. To me, that's important. I think about my friend Wanda Vogler, who has this passion, and she has this Adlinum program, and she has felt God calling her, and this is about children who are literally, are ultimately taken out of a place within that's not safe for them anymore because something's gone on with their family, their mother or father, and it's just, they have to literally be taken out of their home and put into foster care. And a lot of times, let me tell you something, a lot of times these children have absolutely nothing, nothing but the shirt on their back. And so Wanda's got this, she's an advocate to be able to once again help these children. And what is Wanda doing? What is Jean Barton doing? What are we doing? The call of the gospel is to lift up the lowly. I think it's so important. So I, when I think about this, I, I think it's so powerful when we look at the story. And I, I, what, what's very interesting, so let me just teach for a second. And so there's a word for the lowly in the scripture. And, and here's the word, here's the terminology. It's called am ha aritz. I think we, I don't know if I have that on the slide or not, but it's called people of the land. Here it is, the people land, the ah ha am ha aritz. It's the people of the land were actually, it began about 586 BC. Um, it's when the children of Israel had taken off from the Babylonian captivity and many of them intermarried and they came back and they were known as the Samaritans. And so they were not considered pure anymore. They weren't part of the pure tribes of, you know, pride tribes of, of Israel. And so they were considered lower class or third class people. And so once again, you're thinking about the, the woman at the well. Why do you, Jesus, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? And Jesus says, I can give you water and you never thirst again. There's this tension going between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, right? They're, so not only were the Amharits were considered those people, but there are other people, the people of the land were the people who were like the third class citizens. Matter of fact, um, I think I got a picture. Can you put that next picture up? Of you know, here's a guy. I took a picture of him. He would have been considered um, Hamaritz. This is actually a picture I took. I don't know several years ago. And behind him is the Valley of the Shadow of Death. That's it. And so he has this little camel up there, and the tourists go, and we go up to the top, and he takes people for a ride, and you can give him like five bucks. And so he's just kind of inking out a living. And so you know, this is where people like this gentleman lives. This, can you, this is the Bedouin camp. This is how people still live. 
today, even in near Israel. Matter of fact, you can, when we're going to be there in about three weeks, and we're going to be driving by some of the Bedouin camps, and there's no toilets, there's no running water. They live like this. They live off the land. They're people of the land. Do you realize that Mary and Joseph were actually considered Amharets? They were considered actually probably in their day third-class citizens. And yet, what's beautiful when we find these words of Mary, she says, you have lifted up the lowly. I love that. To me, that is so powerful that how God can use the lowly. And once again, over and over again, you see the true heart of God. You see the true character of God on almost every single page we find in the Gospel of Luke over and over again that Jesus is going to the lowly. By the way, there are two themes in the gospel, Luke. Those who are nobodies, Jesus says you're somebody. And if you're somebody, you need to lift up the nobodies. Y'all hear me? Mm-hmm. So true story. So um, the other day, um, my son Cameron, um, we were having a conversation. And I don't know exactly how we got on this. Um, so uh, we were, he was talking about... Um, the plagues and he was talking about the children of Israel being let out of bondage and and the whole thing about all the plagues they had to go through and then he got on the whole thing about you know the the the, the blood of the of the lamb and and the whole uh, sprinkle of the blood and I began to kind of explain to him a little bit more about that because he was really inquisitive and and so he really got fixated on the whole thing about the 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 sprinkle of the blood over the of the mantle so we had a really good conversation about that and about two or three days later, um, he, he calls me up. And he says, Dad, and so he's my thinker. He says, Dad, I need to know something. I said, what's that? And he says, Dad, is there any connection between Jesus being the firstborn and that whole death spirit that went over and saved the children of Israel and the death of those who are firstborn? And I thought to myself, I'll get back with you on that. Because no one's ever asked me that question. Is there a connection, Jesus being the firstborn, and that story about the firstborn? And so I looked it up, and I actually found, I didn't know this. Once again, Cameron's pushing me to think deeper. So he said, and I, I didn't realize, but the children of Israel actually are known as the firstborn. I didn't know that. So then um, he comes over um, the other night, and um, we pick up the conversation when we kind of left off. And so once again, we're just talking a little bit more about that whole story. And he, I could tell his mind is just spinning and he wants to write about that. And, and so, um, and so he, uh, we, we have a little bit more conversation. And um, by the way, let me tell you something quickly about Cameron. When, when Cameron was five years old and he started out kindergarten, once upon a time, um, he walked, and um, Cameron was just like me. Um, I had to go to what I would call the special class in order to read because I was so far behind in reading. And I still remember it's, it's, I still remember the moment when the, a teacher would come and say, hey, Harold, it's time for you to go off. And everybody in the class knew the reason why I was going off because I had to go get special attention because I couldn't read. So Cameron, when he was about five or six years old, he couldn't read either. And, um, and so he, um, um, one day he walked up to his teacher and he had a piece of paper in his hand and he said to his teacher, he said, can you help me? I, I don't know how to read this. 
And this is what the teacher said. She says, I don't have anything easier than that. Go back to your desk and sit down. In other words, what he heard was, sit down and shut up. You're dumb. You're stupid. Let me tell you something. I didn't know that happened until about two or three years ago. So he's been holding on to that for 15 years because he was told he was stupid. So then Cameron has got this unbelievable ability to reach deeper. So, he, we, so um, on, um, we had this conversation on Friday night. And so at 11 o'clock at night, he calls me up. <laughs> he says, Dad. And I said, why, Cam? And he says, you're not going to believe it, what I found in the story. And I said, what did you find, Cam? He says, did you know that God turned the water of the Nile into blood? And I said, I did know that. And he says, but do you realize that Jesus turned the water into wine? And then Jesus says, um, this is the blood of the new covenant when he talks about the wine. I never thought about that. And he says, Dad, you're not going to believe it. This is 11 o'clock at night. He says, did you know that when just before Jesus was crucified, there was darkness? And did you know that the ninth plague, just before the death spirit came over of the firstborn, there was darkness? I didn't know that, Cam. Wow. And then he says this. So let me teach so here's the interesting thing, the whole death, the whole death spirit falling over. So that back in the olden days, so you had, um, so you have a door. Well, here's the, here's the house. Here's the doorway to the house. Uh, this is the children of Israel. Um, during the, uh, the, comes the 10th plague, the death spirit. And so what's interesting, and I learned this from my friend Greg Sabbath, who is a Messianic Jewish person. And he says, you know, what's interesting, when God tells the children of Israel about the whole, take, take a lamb, take the lamb, and the lamb need to be perfect, an unblemished lamb, and sacrifice the lamb. And then you take the blood, and it, don't miss the detail, you take the blood, and then you take it, and you put it on the top of the, horizon, uh, the, the horizontal part of the door, and sprinkle the blood over here, and then, don't forget the detail. Then you take the blood and you put it on the doorpost. And so it goes down like this also. And what's very interesting, if you put the blood here, this is what happens with the blood. So you have Jesus's hands. You got one doorpost and the other doorpost and you got the crown of thorns in the head and you look at the blood dripping down and you got this replica of Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross. Wow. And then this is what Cam says to me. And by the way, Cameron has been with me to the garden tomb. So you have this tomb in the garden tomb. And so in front of the garden tomb, there is a stone, and this is what Cameron says, Dad, you realize? And he's connecting the stories. He says, Dad, they didn't need to put any blood 
over the front entrance of the tomb because he says, guess what, Dad? The Lamb of God and his blood was already in the tomb. And this was a kid at the age of five who was told he was stupid. Dad, don't you realize that the blood of the lamb was already inside the tomb? And on Easter, the lamb of God walks out. Because Jesus Christ came for the least and the lost and the last. And the last does not have the final word, folks. The final word is victory. Came in on that. Okay, can I tell you one more story? Do I still have you? I need to know, do I still have you? If I don't have you, I can quit. Okay, all right, let me give you one more story. So I'm, I'm, let's see, it's Thursday. Thursday, I'm going, uh, I'm, I'm going for my jog, and, uh, and so Mrs. Hendren is pulling out of the parking lot, I'm, I'm finishing my first loop, and the, the, you know your day's not gonna start off real good when you see your wife pulling out of the front entrance of your neighborhood, and her, fr- her front tire's going, wah, 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 wah. This is not the way you wanna start your day, right? So she's got a flat tire. It's like on the rim. I said, oh, and she pulls her out. I said, how do you, I just take my car to work. I'll get the car fixed. So I finished my jog. I get enough air in the tire and I take it down to Sumter Tire. And I go see um, my friend Bobby who owns Sumter Tire. And you know, Bobby's a mechanic. And so I said, Bobby, I said, you know, here it is. I said, I, I need some help. And he says, sure, Pastor Hill, I can. And then what's interesting is that Bobby was my neighbor. He lived through four horses down and they just recently moved. But, um, and so uh, afterwards, um, uh, um, Bobby says to me, he says, you know, Pastor Hill, um, listen, I, 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 just, I got it. There's no charge, just go, go. And I said, Bobby, thank you so much. And I put my arm around Bobby, and this is what I said to him. I said, Bobby, I want you to know something. I said, at my lowest point in my life, uh, you and your wife were there for me, especially for Anna. Because there were times in which they would come down to my house and they just would ring the doorbell and say, hey, Donna, is there anything I can, we can do for you? Is there anything that we can do for Harold? after my accident. And I, I put my arm around Bobby and I said, Bobby, I want you to know, I will never forget that. And I want you to know how much I love you and how much I really appreciate you because you lifted me up in the lowest point of my life. So I get in the car and um, I drive straight to Ocala and I go and see my friend John Drews, who's normally a lot of times he plays the piano before services and he just had a, um, uh, open heart surgery. So I go into Ocala Regional and I'm walking down the hallway and I'm about to, I'm trying to go to see him and all of a sudden I see a familiar face and, um, and I thought I recognized her and I realized it was Dr. Tooley and Dr. Tooley was my neurosurgeon. And so I stopped her and I said, Dr. Tooley. And she looks at me like, yes. <laughs> she didn't recognize me. She sees thousands of patients. And I said, Dr. Tooley, I said, um, I'm Harold. And I said, you put me back together again. And then immediately she recognized me. She, and then she says, I remember now 
because I remember all the notes that your children wrote me to thank me for putting you back together. She remembered that. See, she finally connected it all. And I said, and I put, I hugged her. I wanted to take a selfie, but I thought that might be a little cheesy. <laughs> but, I, but I do have a picture. Here's a picture of me and her in her office that was taken a couple of years ago. So I put my, I, I really hugged her. And then I, I pulled back and I looked in her eyes and I said, Dr. Tooley, I want you to know, in the lowest point of my life, you were there for me. And you know what she does? She points up to the heavens and gave the glory to God. Isn't that great? So here's the interesting thing about this story is there are two different people that walk with me through the lowest point. And I had, within 30 minutes, I've got, think about this. I've got a mechanic who's got grease all of his hands. I put my arm around him and I said, thank you so much for lifting me up in the lowest point of my life. And then I have this other neurosurgeon who's one of the most talented, gifted neurosurgeons in America. And I said the same thing to her. See, what I love about this, and here's the challenge, and this is what I'm close with today. I want you to hear this, you ready? I'm giving you a homework assignment this week. And here's the homework assignment. I want you to find someone in your life this week that is in a low place and I want you to lift them up. Because the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as we read through the gospel, Luke, over and over and again over these next 40 days, is that Christ has called us to lift up the lowly. Amen?